Welcome to the Business of Security podcast, episode number seven. Your host is Chad Beckman. Today, he talks with Jason Mararos, Special Projects and Security Manager with the Minnesota Twins. The topic is operating a major league ball club. Now let's get to it. Driving. No purchase necessary. Listeners, today we have a special guest, Jason Mazaros, who is the projects and security coordinator, manager, if you will, for the Minnesota Twins Baseball Club. And we're very excited to hear about kind of what happens uh, at a baseball club. We're all fans, uh, at least most of us probably are. Uh, so, Jason, welcome today. Thank you. Today, we want to kind of pick your brain a little bit. And as the baseball season is upon us, uh, we want to learn about what goes into managing a stadium like the Target Field here for the Minnesota Twins Baseball Club. Could you give us a little bit of background first before we dig into that as to you know your background and, and what got you to this position today? I know uh, we spoke a little bit about your uh, military service experience in the past and then you have an MBA, but I'd like for you to kind of give your story for everybody to understand uh, your background. Sure. Uh, how much time do you have? <laughs> just, just kidding. Um, so my background in the security world goes back, like you mentioned, my military background. I was a, an Army intelligence officer for 10 years, and intelligence is probably, without a doubt, the most secure slice of the government that you can find because it's protecting information. It's protecting. So everything that I learned in that world from security classification to how to handle security to even, you know, how to protect it and then how to collect it. So you got two different sides in the the Intel world is how do you keep other people from knowing what you know? And then how do you figure out what other people know without them knowing or get them to tell you openly so that you don't get in trouble for it? So there's been a lot of that, you know, in, in the news recently about I mean, even the last election cycle was all about we were hacked, we were hacked, we were hacked. And the reality is, yeah, there was some information loss, but was it hacking or was it a user error being the very common way that hackers get information is they simply ask you to give them your password and a lot of people do it. And that's exactly what happened. And and you saw in the news that it influenced a whole lot of the, the news cycle. Moving past that to my current role, it's the same thing. We get the exact same tactics used against us, but my military background fed into that security world. I also had a technology background. I worked for 20 years in the private sector in technology leadership, everything from you know managing a help desk all the way up to being the CIO of one of our state agencies here in Minnesota. And as part of that role, I mean, obviously, security um, is a huge part of it. I ran um, the agency that owned all of the veterans' homes and then the veterans' information. So keeping our veteran information secure was a huge, huge um, task for us. And then, you know, you run into all the compliance issues of HIPAA, PCI, 
um, things like that. In that scenario, it was a very HIPAA-driven because we had five veterans' homes where we kept veterans' data. So I guess the short short answer, this has been anything but a short answer, but the short answer is my military background and then my, my technology experience over the past 20-some years has really led me to where I'm sitting today, which is protecting Target Field and the, the Minnesota Twins Baseball Club so that people can just come enjoy a game. They don't have to worry about having their credit card get stolen while they're here. It's great. Perfect background. Thank you. So uh, we spoke a, a little bit about all the infrastructure that really goes into running a baseball club and, and having a, a field like we're in today, uh, having this interview. And um, with that, I know you guys recently went under a pretty massive network upgrade and you do a refresh like most organizations do of their network every few years. <clears throat> Just can you take us through some of the scope of what you're having to manage? Um, and then let's kind of talk a little bit about uh, the fan base and the consumer side of, of this as well. Absolutely. So our network upgrade was um, pretty massive. As most people know, Target Field was built and opened in 2010. So it's 2018. We're eight years old or nine years old, technically, I guess. And infrastructure, um, most notably switches and and things like that, have a, a shelf life and they start to wear out. And we were starting to see um, our network closets, we were having all kinds of issues and things would go down. And the last thing, obviously, for us that we want to happen is to have an outage during a game. So uh, that's a big taboo. We looked at it and looked at the risk and looked at the likelihood that after we passed a certain time frame or a, I guess a warranty period, if you will, that the likelihood of the equipment failing goes up significantly. So we have to look at that and track that and and then make decisions on do we upgrade and in this case we said yes we absolutely need to and you can do incremental upgrades or you can do a full-blown let's just replace it all and that was the decision that we made um we worked with you know one of our partners here that supplies us all the equipment we pay for it obviously but um we get a deal on it because they have some naming rights and et cetera. We work out the, the corporate sponsorship. So that's another piece of of our puzzle that we really don't do anything without getting something in return for it, um, some type of sponsorship deal, things like that. So that's a dynamic that when I worked for other corporations or even the state government, you don't do deals like that. You don't get – you know, naming rights to certain things and the advertising doesn't come into play when you're making a massive IT purchase. So it's a no. huge, it's a much different dynamic. But we made the decision to replace everything. We have about 37 network closets. We are adding one with our remodel that we're doing um, in the stadium. So we're going to have 38. And then we have our core stacks. Uh, all of those ranged from anywhere from, you know, Two switches all the way up to, I think the the biggest closet had eight switches, eight 48-port switches. So we replaced all that. We replaced all the fiber connections. We upgraded our bandwidth coming into the stadium. And all of that kind of leads into, and it kind of stacks. So um, you mentioned we have multiple projects going on. That is kind of our baseline project, if you will. And then stacked on top of that, because we have this brand-new network, we're almost like a model for the Internet of Things. We, we are t 
tying everything together from our network to our phone system, um, which is a very, very much what a lot of corporations have. What we have stacked then on top of that is all of our TVs and our TVs can be run through our phones. So I can change the channels on the TV in my office simply using my phone. We run 780 some TVs throughout the stadium and we can manage them all um, remotely, manage the streaming video. We can put whatever stations we want on them. It's kind of like having a Apple TV on crack is really what it becomes <laughs> is you can do all kinds of super fun, cool things with um, the streaming video. And then on top of that, you also have our our point of sale systems, which you, with point of sale, you get into another level of complexity and, and security that we have to keep credit card data now safe. Um, we work with a partner who runs our concession stands, but um, we work very closely with them to make sure that they're choosing a point of sale system that works with us and ties right into our network. And then the second piece to that is it ties into digital menu boards. So in addition to all the TVs that we had throughout the stadium, we added 120 more that we've then programmed to run as menus in every concession stand. So when you come to Target Field this year, that's one of the cool new things you'll see is you no longer have the old uh, magnetic menu boards. It will be TVs that are showing a menu and we can then do all kinds of additional, again, we talk about ad space and sponsorships. sponsorships yeah. People then buy sponsor spots within um, the menu boards. And, I mean, there's so much more you can do. And, and um, we're a business, so we're about generating revenue, and that's what that becomes about is what's the easiest way for – what's an easier way for us or an additional path for us to generate revenue. So this is a really awesome example, I think, for all of us to kind of learn from as uh, leveraging technology to drive business, right? Oftentimes in IT or in security, we think about ourselves as protecting the business or providing some automation for the business. But in this case, it's about really leveraging technology through these technological upgrades to uh, produce more revenue and produce more opportunities for the partners and, and sponsorships and so forth in this case. Um, so I think that's a, a fantastic use case that a lot of us can take an example from and uh, maybe apply it to our own businesses. Right? It, it absolutely is. Mm -hmm. How do you go about saying, hey, by the way, here's the upgrades we're going to do. How do you translate that into a business opportunity to other departments? Because obviously IT isn't the one selling sponsorships. Uh, so how does that work stream uh, happen in, a, in an upgrade like this? So as we're building the menu board, so obviously we build out a template first that says, you know, here's your tasty treats, here's your um, entrees for the hungry man, things like that, beverages, adult beverages. You have all the different uh, things that you would put on a menu. And then that's all, of course, driven by what's sold at each concession stand. And then as we're having those, looking at that and breaking it all down, we realize that, well, you know, in uh, – certain concession stands, they only sell certain products that we have partnerships with. Okay. So then we pull in the, the corporate partnership representative or account executive from that that handles that account and we say, hey, we're putting in digital menu boards. We have space on the board to to run, you know, X type of ads, you know, whether um, 
there are the the L bar ads on the bottom of the TVs that you see throughout the stadium, or some of the boards we even have three TVs where the menu is on the outer two TVs, and then the center TV is totally going to be ad space. So, okay. and that's new for the 2018 season. Absolutely, it okay. is. Okay, yep. so it's going to look uh, like a refreshed view uh, for the Minnesota Twins fans. It is. Okay. Yep. Is that happening at other uh, baseball clubs um, across the baseball association? It it is. We collaborate pretty pretty tightly across the clubs. There's a few clubs that are kind of outliers, and then there's a few clubs that are well. There's a few that don't collaborate well. That's why kind of why they're outliers. And there's a few that are just ahead of everybody else. Okay. So, and you can probably guess some of the bigger market clubs are you know, steps or sometimes miles ahead of everyone else. Some of the smaller market clubs just don't have the funding to do some of the things. And we're fortunate that while we're a mid-market team, we still have the ability to do. And and we get really creative about how we do things and how we get things paid for that we can do and keep ourselves Innovative. innovative. Yeah. And ahead of some of the rest of the teams. That's not to say that uh, from a, a revenue perspective, we compete with them. Mm-hmm. We compete clearly on the field, but we collaborate on, well, how do you guys, you know, track your, uh, what CRM system are you using? How do you track your tickets and how do you dig into the data? So we have all kinds of discussions around data mining with other clubs about, well, how are you finding out this, you know, who's sitting in what seat and what they're buying in the third inning, you know, is it really getting how, how down do you, to that level of detail? It is starting to, yes. That's and really interesting. Some of the teams are doing a much better job at it than others, have really jumped out ahead. Some of them are miles behind. Okay. And some of that's budget-related. Some of it's you know management-related. It really takes a leadership perspective. And that's one of the, I think, the blessings of the Twins is we have some pretty progressive leaders who really want to move things forward and want us to be making those changes that will have an impact on, on our business. Mm-hmm. And that can equate too to a better fan experience at the end of the day. It, it absolutely does. So yeah. Some cool things. I'll give you some, some hidden insight here. We're going to have a, a virtual reality home run and we, we previewed it during twins fest. We had it set up so you can go in and do a home run derby with a VR headset and a VR bat that you're swinging and, it just looks like you're standing in a cage swinging, but um, if you look at the monitor, you see that you're swinging at pitches and you're hitting home runs, and it's really fun and cool. Wow. And we just uh, found out that we have Target Field now added to the list of fields that you can go and, and do a virtual home, runs home run. At. So oh, we neat. talked about doing things like, well, could we just set up that cage at home plate? and have somebody stand at home plate on target field and hit home runs in target field virtually. Wow. How cool would that be? That would be really cool. So we're, we're trying to really push the envelope and get some fun technology things out for fan experience. Right, to, right. To, Cause that's what gets people to games is they need to come here and have fun and mm-hmm. enjoy it. So yeah. expand it just beyond sitting in the seat sometimes. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, that's really neat. Um, so, segueing a little bit into the consumer experience, and now we talked a little bit about the partnerships <clears throat> that you have with the point of sale. Yep. So, obviously, there's guest Wi-Fi at the stadium. 
Yep. Um, there is um, consumer credit card transactions happening. And uh, let's just stop there. There's much more. But th- those require security, right? Those are probably the two biggest, I would think, from a fan yep. perspective that the fans interact with. Uh, so how do you go about managing, you know, we talked about who's buying what and what seat and, and so forth, but all of that data, how is that secured uh, from a baseball club uh, standpoint? So there's probably three or four, and I'll use my military terms, ingress points and egress points for that data. So coming into it, you've got ticket sales. We're, we're partnered with tickets.com. So when people buy tickets, it goes through their system. So they feed us data. We also have then our concessions partner. So they'll be collecting data both in our merchandise stores as well as all the concession stands. And then we've also added, I think this is our second or third year that we'll have in, uh, for sure in the Delta Sky Club where you can order directly from your seat. There's a menu sitting in the cup holder and you can just pull that up and, and you can order right through the ballpark app and they'll bring it right to your seat. Well, but what that does is it gives us all the data of well who's ordering what's your oh, sure. what's your name where are you sitting because and what kind of food are you ordering so that next time you come into the game if you're sitting in a different seat we can then you still you have know, a profile of that we person. absolutely have a profile and then yeah. we can start to understand do you always come in and get a Kramachuk's brat or do you always come in and go get Frankie V's pizza what is your pattern what are you yeah. what are you doing what, are your what kind favorites? of food yeah. So then we can target that. We can send you coupons. We can, you know, give you benefits to coming to a game because ultimately that's what we need is people coming in and filling seats mm-hmm. and watching our games. Right. So so it's about that's part of the enhancing that experience and uh, tracking information, but also yep. then securing it too. Absolutely. Right? So that's that's the second piece <clears throat> to that equation is, yes, we're collecting it, but we also have to keep it so that other people can't can't access it and right. look at it because the last thing we want is for our information to get compromised and then for somebody to use that information. So an interesting part of that is being part of, we're owned by the Polad companies and the Polad companies have a number of other businesses that they're, that they manage, manage or own, um, including, you know, United properties and then like carousel motor group and JB Hudson jewelers. So those companies target a specific high wealth or high net worth individual so they have to keep their data free so there's a lot of you know cross pollination between companies of well we want people who are enjoying twins games to also be going to carousel motor group to get their vehicles Mm -hmm. we want them to go get their engagement rings at jb hudson so we want to have that information but and share that information, but we have to do that securely. We have to make sure that they're not getting hacked. Either one of those two, we have to make sure that we're doing things the right way and, and keep our information safe. When we do that, we have to make sure that it's, um, and I guess opens up an opportunity where we then need to pull holes on our perimeter and let mm-hmm. in certain, you have to, you know, open that door so that, you can share with those people. But every time you open that door, that's that's an opportunity for somebody else to go, hey, I see an open door. I can walk in and, and take something there. So in a way, <clears throat> the way you are having to do that, you almost think of the, uh, you know, a, a, a peer company owned by the same portfolio 
organization, in this yep. case, pole ad companies, um, but treating each other almost like vendors where you're sharing information, but doing Absolutely. so in a, a limited capacity uh, and securely, of course. Uh, yep. right? So, And then, of course, you also have the the additional piece of Major League Baseball, and yeah. they're also tracking and looking at all of that data. Interesting. And so they're taking those same, you know, from tickets.com, all that ticket data. They're also looking at all that from a, a macro perspective of we've got 30 teams in our league that if if we see one team doing really well, what's the cause of that? Why are they doing so much better and how do we replicate that across the other 29 teams? So there's a lot of, of information sharing, a lot of, again, to use military terms, what I call um, tactics threats and procedures. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think a lot of our audience will relate to that, by the way, to those terms. So that's actually really interesting that the MLB then is almost like this aggregator of best practices. Yep. And then it shares that wealth of knowledge because of course, like you said earlier, the teams when they're on the field are definitely competing against each other. But when it comes to running the, the, the ball clubs mm-hmm. and uh, you know creating efficiencies and creating success equally for the ball clubs, that's where some of the information sharing can be very valuable. It, it, it absolutely is. And so then to, I guess, bring this back full circle back to the security conversation, Major League Baseball has put together – for all 30 clubs and it's voluntary to join, but I think there's 26 or 27 out of the 30 clubs have um, gone all in on the program, a, a security program where uh, major league baseball will select, um, you know, the endpoint protection, your perimeters, your intrusion detection, your vulnerability scanning, uh, pen testing vendor. They, they put together this massive portfolio of every, layer of your security that you would need and they chose and negotiated um, based on the buying power of 30 clubs rather than each individual club and then said you guys can buy into this program for really cheap compared to what you would have paid for all of these separately um, separately which for us becomes a a huge cost saver Mm. um Definitely. But for them, it puts it, everyone on the same page or on the same systems, so it becomes a lot easier to, to manage across clubs and a lot of – it becomes easier to share because you're all familiar with the same systems. You're all doing the same things, and the collaboration kind of ratchets up as well. That's great. So the MLB is, in a sense, almost establishing a baseline standard by – harmonizing the technologies across the ball clubs. That's exactly what they're doing. That's great. Yeah. Um, I, I, I see multiple benefits from doing that. <clears throat> a shared service model. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what it is. It's weird how that works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm sure if, uh, if a lot of vendors would love to be into that circle and uh, get access to the 30 clubs yeah. instead of just one at a time. Yep. That's great. Uh, so from your viewpoint, um, I know with these upgrades that you guys have done, um, there's been uh, also some additional monitoring and maybe incident response, and you've ratcheted up your own program and your own security processes. So is it any different, having come from both a, a you know public organization at the state level, yep. uh, and I know previously you were in a, a 
let's call it a slightly more private corporation. Yep. Um, and now at a completely another completely different type of organization, a, a ball club. Is it any different here, running security? Uh, and running uh, projects than it is at a corporation or at the state level? From a a project perspective, it's pretty much parallel. From a security perspective, we have a big target on us because we are such a high profile. People know our brand. People know the Twins brand. And if we were compromised, that would be a huge blow to our brand. And we know that. We get that. That's why we put so much focus on keeping people's information safe. It's interesting. Even a baseball club (laughs) has information on people. And I don't think, I mean, as a baseball fan myself, I don't really think of it that way. You know, going to a sports game and and so forth, interacting with the team online or whatever it might be. uh, You just don't think about that like you do if you buy something online through an e-commerce store, you know. But you're absolutely right. You're creating profiles with individuals. You know who your fans are, and you have corporate sponsorships mm-hmm. as well with the suites and everything. Um, so that's that certainly comes with a large responsibility. It does, and and we have. I'll share another app that we use. It allows us to monitor monitor um, social media activity, mm-hmm. so we can look as people are posting things during games if they're posting before games. If we have a a non baseball event in the stadium and it was something controversial, we'd be able to watch, the, uh, put a geofence around the stadium that we can watch out to a certain perimeter and see if there's people organizing to protest, things like that. So that's what we look for on wow. that application. Wow. Now, take that a step forward, and we're putting in um, a system called FanCam this year, which allows people to, it's the ultra-high-def um, panoramic so you can zoom in on your seat, know where you're sitting. You can zoom in and then tag yourself. So then we know that that's you sitting in your seat <laughs> and you've tagged yourself and posted that on Instagram or Facebook or whatever you put it on. And our, so our other system in theory would catch that and grab that. But we're going to have all that information within the fan cam system as well. Now, from there, there's two different aspects to that. There's one is the marketing aspect. Again, we've now collected information on you. We know where you sit. We probably can tell what you're eating based on the picture. The other half to that is now we have, and this has been a big discussion point um, at MLB and I'm sure in the other sports, professional sports world, facial recognition. So you want to be able to track who's coming in. And we know that we have certain individuals that come to games and they're troublemakers. They'll come in and they'll always try to take the ball from the kid Things like that. There, There's a number of those individuals that we know who they are. We've escorted them out of the stadium in the past. They sneak back in. They'll come in um, when we find them. This makes that would make that much easier because it's got the facial identification. We can recognition. <clears throat> That's fascinating. Um, it opens up a whole new world because... What about now privacy? Yeah. Right. Who, who would have ever thought that marketing and security <laughs> fall under the same bucket? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it's really the, we're talking about a convergence here, not just as, as we talked about at the beginning of uh, the podcast, the uh, integration of technology where you guys truly are and what you've described. I mean, really are integrated. Uh, yeah. Social media to the phones, the TVs, everything. Um, but now we're talking about 
integrating the fan base into mm-hmm. all that technology as well, down to the facial recognition. Yeah. So has um, has the MLB started conversations about, you know, how are we going to handle maybe outcries from people that say, hey, I don't want you to store my picture, or doesn't it matter because, you know, as a country we do not have the privacy, a national privacy rule like, let's say, Europe does? Yep. So we, we haven't had in-depth conversations. There's been some some... I guess, uh, light top layer conversations um, where we're scratching the surface on it. I don't think anyone's really dug deep into that one. I think people realize that when you go to a, even if you go to a a retail store, you're being tracked. Yeah, you're on camera. You're on camera. You're being tracked. Your privacy is already compromised at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, I think if you look at from a generational perspective, your baby boomers, your Gen Xers probably are a little more leery of that. Your millennials, they don't care. <laughs> they, they put themselves they, out there anyway. Exactly. Yeah. They've already done it. They've already yeah. said, my whole life is here for the world to see anyway, and I'm just going to share everything I do anyway. So who cares if they know I'm at a baseball game and that I'm eating a, a Schweigert hot dog? Who cares? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting, and it, it, that, you know that gets into other subjects as well as a generational gap and what we accept and don't accept as technology yeah. evolves, right? Um, and I so, keep thinking I'm in the younger generation, but I'm not anymore. Yeah, well, as technology gets more uh, maybe pervasive, I realize I'm not in the younger generation either. Yeah. <laughs> so if you know, let's. Uh, I want to ask you this question as I ask everybody that comes on the show. If you were to change one aspect of information security or, or let's call it cybersecurity today. Um, what might that aspect be, you know, that, that we could as an industry do better or do differently? So I think there's a lot of people out there in the, the marketplace right now. And I get that it's, it's probably a sales technique, but they come in and they want to do pen testing. They want to show you where your gaps are so that they can fill those gaps. And I get that, but there's a, a lot of, pointing out the problems and not offering a lot of solutions out there in the market space that I'm seeing. It sometimes gets frustrating to just always have people tell you that you've got a thousand gaps. Mm -hmm. We know we have gaps and we've plugged all the critical ones and we're working through the rest of them. You prioritize and you, you, uh, you know, make your assessments because there's, you know, you have a limited number of resources. There's only so much you can do and you make those decisions and then the next vendor walks up and says, hey, you've still got all these gaps. Well, that, that's not really helping me come in and say, I know how to solve this slice of gaps or I can solve this slice of gaps. There's a problems and the solutions and, and how we actually move forward. So mm-hmm. that's what I'd like to see is, is a lot more solutions-based. Proactive. Proactive, versus- yes, versus reactive. Yes, um, yeah, I think a lot so, of people out there would agree with you. Yeah, um, it, it, it seems like there's a big focus on that that reactive side of I can scare them into buying my product versus mm-hmm. I can proactively help you solve these problems. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a much different technique, and part of me says that's a even going back again to my military days. The fear factor, the scare tactics, generally work. Um, in certain scenarios. And this is one of those scenarios where I think people are finding they work because you see, you know, across the street from us, Target, our 
you know, the namesake of our stadium was hacked and lost a bunch of data. That has huge impact across the industry and people will leverage that to make a buck. Mm -hmm. And I'd much rather see you leverage your, your knowledge and skills to make a buck by helping me, helping me solve some of the problems that I know I have. Right. Right. Yeah. Very well said. Very good point. And that's what I think we're starting to see a new generation of tools come out to uh, create some more proactiveness, you know, right. Better protection, uh, better, um, you know, obviously machine learning AI can give us better forecasting and predictability, uh, which I think starts to get into a, a performance-based management and a proactive conversation instead of always having to react to, we need to apply this patch because now we just realized a vulnerability exists in the system. Yep. Now a word from our sponsor, TrustMap, the business management system for security leaders. Let's hear from Aaron Pritz, president of Aaron Pritz & Associates, as he identifies how TrustMap provided a real solution to a real problem. The other parts of my job is with program maturity. Um, some really nice things that the product's doing to, you know, rate yourself via the control owners that actually own controls. And again, very interactive assessment tools to kind of rate yourself and rate your program and be able to see, you know, are you moving the, the ball or not? I think over-investing in anything and everything and having tons of funding that doesn't really get spent effectively is a problem in security. So you've got to really measure where you're moving the needle and really align that to your portfolio and program management, which you can also do in TrustMap. What is TrustMap? I would really say it's the framework alignment of GRC into the ability to do assessments. Um, I think it really does a lot of the things that GRC wanted to do, but again, more and in less time and far less money. It's all the portfolio and program management that currently in InfoSec groups are cobbled together through Microsoft Project, SharePoint, and Excel tracking, and PowerPoint status updates. Um, And then it's also program maturity measurement, which right now a lot of programs, including my prior program, we were basically doing everything in Excel and PowerPoint to try to keep tabs on where are we pushing the needle, where not. And again, spending hours and weeks and months um, working on some of the stuff that I saw right out of the box in the first 30 minutes of the demo of TrustMap. So those are a few of the thoughts that I would say um, why I'm so excited about TrustMap and why I would be, you know, if I go back to a corporate security leadership job, why I would be coming out of the gate with that versus trying some of the things that I've already tried and, and, and weren't overly happy with. Remember, listeners of the podcast can schedule a free trial of TrustMap at TrustMap.com slash business. Now let's get back to the show. One that came out not too long, a month or two ago, was the Meltdown Spectre, which... You dug into that pretty deep. I, I did, and it was a, it's an interesting scenario, but it's a scenario that when I, when I really think about it, it's, I don't know that it's as high risk as everyone was playing it up to be, mm. because... You you literally have to have access to to watch that processor to grab that information. So physical access. Physical. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess you can you could probably get in remotely, but then you have to get through all the rest of my perimeter and the rest of my mm-hmm. controls that I have in place already. And if you you're already past that, then you know I'm doing something wrong. But I feel like you, it's not going to be a vulnerability until you get. <laughs> you've got to break through there's a, many more a whole layers bunch of other layers defense. in order to get 
to exploit that one. And yet that one just exploded and everyone was freaked out about it. And I didn't look at it as being as huge of a threat as it was made out to be. So you would have classified it as a low or moderate threat versus maybe a critical or high. Exactly. What the industry appeared to make it seem. And I think that goes to, which I've heard other people speak to, the fact that the media, uh, like in every industry and generally the news, uh, likes to do their own fear-mongering and, yep. and uh, pump up something that might be not as big of a deal as uh, what they make it sound yep. as it is. So there was ransomware attacks that hit last year that were all over the media. Oh, ransomware, ransomware. And the reality is 90-some percent of those attacks were taking place in areas of the world where there is bootleg software. There's bootleg versions of Windows that don't get patched, that don't Mm. have security updates. Interesting. And that's where those types of viruses, if you will, explode and they go crazy because the protection isn't there. Mm-hmm. When you look at what we have here, we've had ransomware hit us and it never gets beyond that first computer because, That's great. because of the controls we put in place. So there's, again, back to the fear mongering, there's, yeah, it's a big attack and it probably would have been very costly had it penetrated places that actually had a lot of money. But most of those mm-hmm. were, there's a reason they're buying bootleg software because mm-hmm. it's low income, low, you know, a third world country that doesn't have the the same level of security that we have here. Exactly. Is there anything you'd like to leave our, our audience with? Um, any bit of insight or advice? Oh man, where do I start? <laughs> I've got all kinds of advice that I can throw out. Relative um, to security. <laughs> security. Um, the business of security. It always comes down to people. So as an intel officer, one of the things that we learned early on is that you can compromise any system through the people who are running that system. You don't necessarily have to be the best hacker in the world. The social engineering aspect of it comes into play. And, and I'm talking, you know, 25 years ago, I went through training on this kind of stuff. Mm. Saw some uh, training videos and things that didn't become mainstream or most people didn't know about until it hit the media, you know, three, four, five years ago, it started to become more of a a thing, but it's been out there a long time. People can manipulate people and that's how most breaches will happen. It's not going to be a a technical breakdown and we can put the walls up and the perimeters, but it's about the people. It always boils down to people. Mm -hmm. Well said. Thank you for your time today, Jason. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. It's just fun. Yeah, it was fun. It was very educational for me, and I'm sure it was for our audience too. So thanks for uh, doing this. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to the Business of Security podcast. A special thanks to today's guest, Jason Mararos, Special Projects and Security Manager with the Minnesota Twins. Our host today was Chad Beckman, founder and CEO of Secure Digital Solutions. You can connect with Chad on LinkedIn and learn more about Secure Digital Solutions at TrustSDS.com. Our show was produced by Dan Rollins with LiveWire Films. You can find Dan on LinkedIn and learn more about LiveWire Films at LiveWireFilms.com. Check out our next podcast episode with J.D. Hansen, Senior Director of Information Security at Code42. The topic is, wait, there's a woman who works in security? You've been listening to the Business of Security podcast, and that's a wrap.